Well, good morning, West Park. It is a delight for Diane and me to be back sharing with you today. Uh, we have such a memories of this church for many, many years. We've had a long relationship. In fact, it was 53 years ago this month. Uh, it was actually New Year's Day of 1971 that Diane and I left London to go to the Philippines with Far East Broadcasting Company, FEBC. I, was, I had been working at the TV station here in London prior to that, and we left London with two little kids heading for missionary work. Diane had sprained her ankle, and so she's hobbling on her crutches as I took her to the plane. Then I made a second trip to the plane with our two little ones, Tim and Tanya. Uh, I don't know how long it's been since they saw that picture. Uh, but some of the older folk from West Park were there at the airport that New Year's Day. Uh, pastor Paul Fawcett was your pastor at the time and his wife Vi. Uh, I'm, I'm almost hesitating to mention names because I'm likely going to forget some, but uh, Dr. Jack Patton and his wife were there, as well as Cliff and Ann uh, Parkin, and probably some others that I have forgotten. But it was a wonderful day, and uh, West Park was one of six churches in Ontario that financially supported Diane and me in our missions work. That relationship lasted 16 years until we returned home after being in Manila and then in Singapore and coming back to start the Open Doors office here in Canada in 1986. So we initially worked, as I mentioned, with the Far East Broadcasting Company, uh, known as FEBC, and uh, we lived just north of Manila. Uh, we lived right across the street from Jake and Lillian Leonar. Many of you know that family. And uh, like them, we added to our family and adopted a Filipina baby girl who we named Melinda. Today, Melinda lives in Burlington. She's the host and producer of a Christian weekly television program called See, Hear, Love. It's on Yes TV on Mondays, tomorrow morning and tomorrow afternoon. Diane and I are two of her favorite viewers, and uh, she has uh, been a delightful addition to our family. In 1979, at the end of the decade of the 70s, we moved into the city of Manila and uh, began working with Brother Andrew's mission called Open Doors, working with persecuted Christians. Our particular focus from Manila was the big country of China. And two years after joining them, I was asked to coordinate a, a mega project when we clandestinely delivered 
into China in one night, in two hours, we dropped one million Chinese Bibles on a beach in southern China. It was called Project Pearl. It was an amazing, amazing experience of seeing God's power and God's miraculous working on our behalf. One million Chinese Bibles weighed 232 tons. A little, a little heavy to put in a suitcase. And so we had a tugboat and a barge and it's a whole story. One of the books that I've written is the whole story of that miraculous undertaking. It's called Night of a Million Miracles and it's uh, out on the table uh, in the back where my bride Diane of 58 years we've been married, she will be there, you get a chance to meet her. And uh, she's looking after our book table out in the foyer. Hope you'll come by, she has some uh, special offers today I think you would enjoy. She recently has been teaching ESL, as Kevin said, here and tomorrow afternoon. Diane will be here at your church teaching a group of young of uh, Chinese ladies that are trying to learn English. That's what she has been teaching most of her career and life. I found the persecuted church working with them. I worked 38 years with Open Doors before retirement, traveling the world, working among those who are severely persecuted. And I found they had a lot to teach me spiritually. And today I want to share with you a biblically based message illustrated by them. We'll be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 to 12, in a message titled, Experiencing the Power of God in Jars of Clay. So let me first read this passage for you. If I get it up the right way from, I'm reading from my favorite version of the Bible. It's called the Large Print Bible. <laughs> and even with that, I still need these. But we're reading uh, 2 Corinthians 4 beginning at verse five. The Apostle Paul is writing about his ministry and some of the ethical aspects of being in ministry. And I'm reading, this translation happens to be the New Living Translation, the NLT. So let's begin at verse five of 2 Corinthians 4. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts, so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing 
this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. God's word for us today, may it bless our lives as we look at it more closely. The Apostle Paul in this chapter is explaining the ethics of his ministry goals. He expands it to explain how human beings, which he calls fragile jars of clay, can experience God's power even when bombarded by hostilities and troubles. So this morning I want to share with you three examples from the persecuted church to illustrate the big idea. All these stories are documented in writing and I will share those sources with you. First, let me take you Excuse me, I'm just missing a page here. Uh, before, we, before I take you to these three stories, I did want to mention that one of my favorite pastors in my younger years was a man named Ray Stedman at uh, Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto, California. Uh, he preached on this passage the first time I ever heard this passage being shared in a message and he called it pots, pressures, and power. Nice alliterated outline, that's what was popular in those days. And Paul is teaching that ever since the fall, the human bodies, our human bodies, at their best can be described as fragile jars of clay. That sounds like a good name for a singing group, but I think it may be already taken and especially those who follow Jesus, like the Apostle Paul, can expect to be bombarded by pressures. Paul lists these pressures. He said, we are pressured on every side. We're perplexed. We're hunted down. We're knocked down. And we're under danger of death. But thanks be to God, he says, we survive and we even thrive by the power of God, the light of the gospel that shines in our hearts. So in spite of the pressures, we are not crushed. We are not driven to despair. We are not abandoned by God. 
and we are not destroyed. We live in the face of death, but because of the life of Christ within us, we are destined for eternal life. Hallelujah. What a message God's word gives to us today. And that leads us to our big idea. The big idea is that the power of God can enable our fragile jars of clay to be victorious even over the pressures of life. So now let me share with you those three illustrations I mentioned uh, that illustrate the big idea and are all documented stories. First, let me take you to East Africa to meet a young lady named Helen Burhani in a country called Eritrea. Eritrea is a small country north of Ethiopia. In fact, it used to be part of Ethiopia, but it broke away in independence in the middle 1990s. And it's where the dictatorial leadership for the past 20 years has outlawed evangelical Christians. So, if you are meeting together like we're doing this morning in an evangelical church or you're out witnessing in any way or evangelizing, you can expect to be arrested and put in prison, especially the Christian leaders. And today there are literally hundreds of Christian leaders in this country that are in prison just because of their faith. They get no charges, no official charges. They get no trial, just indefinite imprisonment. And there are hundreds of them. And so Eritrea does not have that many jail cells. So they use big metal shipping containers to imprison these people. These containers are crowded. They have no toilet facilities. They're hot in the daytime, cold in the nighttime. Helen Burhani spent three years in those shipping container prisons as a young girl. Her crime was circulating her Christian music CD among young people of the country. She later wrote a book about her experiences titled The Song of the Nightingale. It's available from Voice of the Martyrs and also on Amazon. And here's how she described her experience in that book. She said it was so cold during the night that you would suffer hypothermia. It was so hot during the day that your skin would burn on the edge of the container. The bugs that bite you felt like fire all over your body. But like driving a nail into wood, every hit, every beating, every blow to my body drew me closer to God. What an incredible testimony. And one day after witnessing about her love for Jesus to one of the guards, she was beaten, thrown back onto the floor of her shipping container and as she lay on the floor in that container, she began to compose and sing a new song. 
And this is how the lyrics go of her song. Thank you for the cold nights. Thank you, Lord, for the hot days. Thank you for the hunger, for the sickness. Thank you for the bugs that bite my body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I have met Helen several times. We've shared conferences together. And every time I read this lyrics, I just shake my head and say, how, how, how can anyone be thankful in a situation like that? Helen was, and I've heard her sing this song both in her Eritrean language and in English, as she has shared in North America on occasions. But how does she do it? It is the power of God. Only the power of God could enable someone living under such horrible circumstances to be able to sing a song of thanks to the Lord for that. The Apostle Paul, of course, you remember, does teach us that we are to be thankful in everything, and that was the word he used, everything. Uh, and when we are, it's, it's um, just amazing how God works in our lives. It is the power of God. Now we go to another location to meet two young ladies. Their names are Mariam and Marzi from the country of Iran. Lovely young ladies who came to faith independently, but both from a Muslim background. They have written a book about their experiences, which you see on the screen, called Captive in Iran. It's available on Amazon and a really, really worthwhile read. They first met in neighboring Turkey, uh, just north, of, uh, north and, and west of Iran, at a discipleship training center. They decided after their training to return to the capital city of their country to serve the Lord together. And there, they immediately were able to establish two house churches of young people. One of those house churches was made up of women of the street to whom they witnessed constantly as they were serving the Lord there. As they traveled around the city, they always carry, had a backpack on their shoulders. And in the backpacks, they would always have Farsi New Testaments. And so everybody they met, before they would leave them, they would say, in my backpack, I have a New Testament, would you like to have it? In three years, they did, when they were doing this, they only once had somebody who said, no, I don't want your New Testament. But 20,000 people said, yes, I would love to have a New Testament. Can you imagine two young ladies in a restricted country like Iran, in three years, 
they distribute one-on-one 20,000 Farsi New Testaments to people. Is it any wonder that the church in Iran continues to grow? Operation World lists Iran as the fastest growing church in the world today. And they estimate that the church in Iran grows at 20% a year. That's incredible. I almost hesitate to tell you what the growth percentage is in North America, but it's like 1%. In Iran, where it's difficult to be a Christian, the church grows at 20% a year. And it's no wonder when you hear the stories of Mariam and Marzier. And you know that the secret police will not overlook this for very long. And so after three years, they moved against these two girls. They uh, raided their apartment, confiscated all the Christian material they had there, arrested them, and put them in Tehran's most notorious prison called Evan Prison, where the conditions are terrible, so terrible, I don't even want to describe them for you. And they were interrogated severely every single day. Every day they went through hours of interrogation. And interestingly, the pressure against them was not so much about their distribution of New Testaments and establishing house churches. The pressure on them was to return to their original faith of Islam. And if they would do that, they would be freed immediately. But those girls simply would share their faith constantly in Jesus with those who were interrogating them. In a spirit of faithfulness, they even led other women to Jesus inside the prison while they were there. And in in the year that they spent in prison, actually 259 days, there was international pressure put on Iran by many, many countries of the world, especially from Europe, to uh, release these young ladies. And they were released after 259 days. And when they were released, they had to leave the country because they knew that they would compromise other believers if they met with them after what they had been through. And so they came to North America. And when they came here, they then wrote their story in English called Captive in Iran. And what I want to share with you is their concluding words. In the conclusion of their autobiography, they write this, for all the heartache we have experienced on this journey, we wouldn't have missed it for anything. It's been our honor to serve Christ in this way, to take up our cross and follow him faithfully anywhere he leads us. And that's the second point. I forgot to give you the first point on your outline, which was Helen's point of thankfulness. So on your outline, that first blank that you have, you can fill it in. The first blank is thankfulness. The second blank is faith 
thankfulness. Helen's thankfulness, Mariam and Marcy's faithfulness. They are a great example of faithfulness even in hard times. The Bible is full of exhortations to faithfulness. In fact, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. And in Revelation chapter 13, which is talking about martyrdom, the writer of Revelation says, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Today, Mariam and Marzi, if I say the name, her Marzi's name, the way it is, it is spelled, it, you would want me to say it as Marzier. Marzier, but you need to know that in order to see and hear their testimony in person. They have YouTube videos. If you put their names in, Mar Mariam, M-A-R-Y-A-M, and Marzier, uh, they have learned English and they share their personal story on YouTube videos and it is powerful and I encourage you to look those up and to do that. Our third stop is in the Arabic country of the Middle East, Iraq, where we're going to meet a young man named Shirzad. On the first meeting, we realize that he is not a Christian, but a very secular-minded, young, married Muslim man. He had an excellent job in his country, which was working for the cell phone company when cell phones were first being installed in Iraq. His story is told by a Christian journalist and a radio host named Charles Morris. Charles is the current speaker on the radio program Haven of Rest, or is now called Haven Today. And uh, Haven Today is heard every morning, weekday morning, on Faith FM here in London, 99.9. Charles Morris, when ISIS began displacing and killing Christians in Iraq, especially on the Nineveh Plains, that was about a decade ago, Charles Morris traveled to the region to research these issues that are going on with the ISIS persecution. On returning from his trip, he wrote a book. The book was called Fleeing ISIS, Finding Jesus. It's uh, kind of um, a take on another book that earlier was written called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And, uh, but his book was called Fleeing ISIS, Finding Jesus. And during his trip in Iraq, Shirzad was his driver, driving him to meet all of these Christians who had gone through incredible challenges. And as they drove, Shirzad told Charles his story. And that's why we have it today to share with you. One day, Shirzad was working at the top of a cell tower. Looking down, he saw a group of ISIS soldiers pointing their big guns up at him and demanding that he come down. 
this was not the prices right, but it was going to be right because they were going to take him and hold him for ransom to extort money from the cell phone company with which he worked. They beat him up really badly and chained his feet, taped his mouth shut, and held him captive in a remote area. Then one day they bring him a telephone in order to call his boss and tell him about the amount of money that they were demanding and how they were to get the money to them. Shirzad took the phone and he talked to his boss in the Kurdish language. The Kurds are the dominant ethnic group of northeast Iraq and they have several dialects. The ISIS soldiers all spoke Arabic. So Shirzad talked to his boss on the phone in Kurdish. And he said, boss, don't give them any money. They are going to kill me anyway, regardless of whether you give them money or not. So don't waste your money. In fact, give it to my family. Please call my wife and tell her that I love her, and he hung up. When the ISIS kidnappers figured out what Shirzad had done, they beat him to a pulp. He said he was bleeding all over, even blood coming out of his mouth. And he felt like because he was losing so much blood, he estimated that he had one more night to live and then he would be gone. And later that very night, he sensed a bright light coming toward him in the room. A voice approached, and in Arabic, the voice said, I am Jesus, go home. Shirzad said to him, don't you see those people? And he was meaning the guards in the room who were watching him constantly. Jesus replied, open your eyes and go home. Shirzad realized that his eyes had been closed the whole time because of the bright light that Jesus emanated, that emanated from Jesus. And when he looked at the guards, he saw that they were all fighting one another. And he was somehow able to easily break his leg bonds and walk out the door. Jesus told him to turn to the right when he got outside, and soon a car picked him up on the highway and began to take him to the hospital. On the way to the hospital, the car driver loaned his cell phone to Shirzad in order to call his wife. And before he could tell her what happened, she started talking excitedly. She said, Shazan, I was asleep and I had a dream about Jesus. He said, your husband is coming home in two days. Wow, when Shirzad reached the hospital, he could not stop thinking and talking about Jesus. He wanted everybody to know. Then he began loudly talking about what Jesus had done in releasing him. 
A warm hand clasped his shoulder as the doctor leaned in and whispered, I'm a believer too. Be careful what you say because people will kill you here for talking like that. And here's how Shirzad responded, and I quote, No, Shirzad said loudly, I'm not afraid. I was almost dead and Jesus released me. If he wanted me dead, he would have left me there, but he didn't. So from now on, please let everyone know that I'm not a Muslim. I'm a believer. Jesus is my life. I'm going to follow him and talk about him. He's my food, my water, my blood. He's my everything. After recovery and release from the hospital, Shirzad told everyone his story. And soon there were 75 new believers who met regularly with him to read the Bible. In the decade after his experience with Jesus, he has shared his faith freely and without fear. And more than a thousand people have chosen to follow Jesus as a result of his bold witness. And Shirzad concludes, I love Jesus and I want everyone to believe in him. He's the hope for everyone. If he can rescue and forgive me, if he can love and reach me, if he can get through that rock and help me, then he can do it for anyone. That's his testimony. So my third point this morning on your outline is boldness. B-O-L-D-N-E-S-S, -S, boldness. I spell that for you because the last time I told this story was in New Zealand, and the pastor was sitting in the front, and when I said, we need to be bold in our work and witness, he stood up and patted his bald head and said, Paul, why do we have to be bold? That's how they pronounce it in their country. <laughs> and so I had to spell it for them. B-O-L-D, be bold. You can fill in that blank. Shirzad's life was all about boldness and work and witness, telling other people about Jesus. Even the Apostle Paul once asked for prayer that he, even he would share the gospel with great boldness. That's a prayer that we can pray for each other. The power of God can enable our fragile jars of clay to be victorious over the pressures of life. And that generates thankfulness, faithfulness, and boldness. You'll notice that all three characteristics are present in every one of these three stories, but one of them was also dominant. There are also other spiritual qualities that proceed from the power of God in our jars of clay. These people are not super spiritual human people. They are ordinary people who live in jars of clay just like you and me. But it's the power of God that is limitless 
yet not limited only to certain special individuals. So no matter what pressures you face in life, God is waiting to exhibit his power in your life. So I ask you to think through your life and talk to God about how his power can be shared in your life each day. Let's pray and ask him for that. Lord, we all need your power to overcome the pressures of life. We thank you for the treasure you have placed in our jars of clay. And we ask you to help us too to be thankful in everything, to be faithful with patient endurance, and to be bold in our work and witness. We thank you for the power of your spirit in our life. And Lord, we desire that that power would honor and glorify you as we serve you here in London day by day. We thank you for it and we pray in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. <laughs>